0: Hey, Jimbo, you ready for this deal?
1: Live action.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Old stories like long-lost friends Rodeos and late-night bins. History before our time, round pens and pasture rides, cowboys of the Osage. Howdy, everybody,
0: welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum located in historic downtown Pahusk, Oklahoma. Hey, it's Cody over here, and as always, I got my main man with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian and himself, Jimbo Snively. Hey, Jimbo, good morning. Good to see you. Who do we have today? Hey, good
1: morning to you, Cody boy, and it's just a, another great day in the Osage. And Cody, we got Johnny Pollock with us today. He's one of the best bronc riders ever hang around this Osage County area, and uh, he was a PRCA Gold card member. He was Texas Circuit champion in 1997 and 1998. And Cody, that's a big circuit. I mean, that's a big deal. That's almost like winning the world.
0: You know, one of his biggest accomplishments is his pitchers hanging up in Bad Brads. He's got an autographed pitcher hanging up in Bad Brads. I see it every time I go in there.
1: He's a 14 times Texas Circuit finalist. He's a two time college national finalist. He's been a stuntman in the movies just an all-around cowboy, worked at the Chapman Barnard Ranch. So uh, we got a lot to get into today. Johnny, welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast.
3: Well, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor.
1: It's our pleasure. Where'd you grow up at, Johnny?
3: I grew up in the Fort Worth area. Um, I grew up there and and was involved in horses growing up, you know, and my my family always had horses, and we went to amateur-type events and, and youth events, and I was always... You know, everything around my life involved a horse one way or the other and was fortunate enough to uh, get to compete at the high school level in rodeo and then right after high school, most of my friends went to college and I went to Osage County.
1: What made you? Did you always like those horses that bucked or did you like the gentle ones too?
3: Oh, I guess when I was that age, I liked the horses that bucked, but I – I didn't encourage him to buck, but it didn't bother me any. And you kind of respect that in them in a little bit. Sometimes it's more of a challenge if they got a little more try and, and a little more athleticism. But, you know, like you go back to, to what Ray Hunt said about he was reincarnated. He said he'd be a bucking horse because they get taken care of so great. They don't work very hard as long as they do a good job. So you, you kind of have respect for the. For, for the for the buck and horse and, and and more than love them. But as far as the Colts, you know, I'd, I'd like them to be gentle, but I don't want them to be so I can't get anything done with them. Right. I didn't know you were
0: raised down there in Fort Worth, Johnny. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Ooh, I've spent <laughs> me some time in Fort Worth, Jimbo. You know, right when I got out of high school, I went to work for a guy down there, Jimbo, and he he put me in an apartment above a bar in Cowtown, north side there. I was eighteen years old. They had a twenty-four hour poker game going in that apartment I was staying in. Nothing could go wrong there. Uh uh-uh, uh. uh-uh. I didn't get
3: anything. We're not going to mention any names, I guess, Mister Dugan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I asked somebody down there the other day if they if they had ever heard of Gary Galt. while they were down there, and they hadn't heard of him. So I was a little I was a little uh, disappointed there, Johnny. But anyway, that's my good Fort Worth story, Jimbo. Yeah.
1: Johnny, what brought you up here to the Barnard Ranch?
3: Well, quite honestly, my mother was living in the area at the time, and I came to visit. And they, I ended up meeting a, a friend of a friend of hers. His name is Don James. We lost him last year. He worked on the ranch there at the Chapman Barnard, and I met him. And quite honestly, he told me they had the ranch had a bunch of colts that needed ridden and the cult breaker that they had at the time was having a hell of a time staying on and it wouldn't be hard to get hired. So I went out there and they hired me and I went home and packed my stuff and I made it back to I made it back to Oklahoma City from Fort Worth before my truck broke down. It's ride and <clears throat> stayed at the Chapman Barnard. and at that time they I think they probably had fifty or sixty mares. And uh, so they and Bill Reed tied the place he donated all of his fillies to Cal Poly University in California, and uh, we broke all the gilders or stud colts. But at that time, you know they had all the two-year-olds that needed that needed started, but they also hadn't gotten into their three-year-olds or their. Uh, there were quite a few four-year-olds that still had been had been pulled with a little bit, and then a few five-year-olds that were. That had never gotten broke that were pretty rank. So I had my work cut out for me. My How many head were you working
0: with there, Johnny?
3: Um. Well, I mean, I would get them in at fifteen at a time, and and just just kind of kind of go through them. I think that place probably had. I bet there were three or four hundred head of horses on there. I'd 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 hate to guess, but but I think the first the first year I was there, two year olds, three year olds. On up to a few fives, I think I probably broke close to eighty hits. And to decide whether they were broke enough to give to the Cowboys, you had to take them to a calf bat. So they were all—they weren't thirty. They were ready for them to go do something off.
1: But how and, long? Uh, how long did that take, average wise, Johnny?
3: What I prefer to do, and I've learned this over the years, at that time I was eighteen-year-old kid that thought you needed to just ride the, you know, ride the snot out of them. Um, as I've gotten older and a little bit smarter, what in, in, in a perfect world, I would ride those 2-year-olds 10 times and turn them out, get them up in 90 days, ride them another 15 or 20 times, and, and then kind of forget about them. And then as they got to be 3-year-olds, then start using them. So I would say that, you know, over the course of a year, they would probably have 100 to 120 rides on them radically. if they could take it, if they wanted to be ranked, they didn't get any days off. You right. know, if they could take the days off, you gave it to them, and I think it kind of helped them. The better colts and the better minor colts, I think, it helped them absorb it better.
0: How many cowboys were working up there at that ranch when you were working up there, Johnny?
3: Uh probably a dozen. Of, you know, and then we had some guys that came in and they helped. I mean, if we went on a big cattle gathering, there could be. 15 or 20 guys out there it was it was quite an quite an experience for a kid from fort worth texas to show up and see a thousand head of crossbred cows in front of him it was it it was it was great i loved it and got to work with some great guys you know larry carpenter was the foreman and his brother danny was there um again john barnes was there at the place i think at the time maybe he was partnering with some cattle or, or something with bill reeds and uh his horsemanship skills are are out of this world. I don't know if you know know who he is, of course, Cody, but
0: I don't know who John Barnes is for sure. Yeah, Yeah, we know him.
3: But for whatever reason, he took me under his wing at that time, and I was, again, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid, and I think the only thing he saw in me was the only thing that kept my job around there was that I could stay on because I couldn't teach him to stop or turn around. I could rope just good enough to get myself in a mess, and, uh, Again, like I said, my friends went to college, and I got more of an education there in Osage County in a couple of years than I ever would have at Texas a and
1: Were you aware at the time of the great history up there at that ranch? Did you know anything about it Well,
2: that?
3: I knew quite a bit about it because there was a book there, and and I read about the Chapman and Barnard partnership. I'm, I'm kind of a history buff, and, you know, it talked about them. Um, about him, even when they broke ground on the place, I can't remember the ex- exact years, but it was in the in the teens or, or early nineteen hundreds. And then, uh, you know, yeah, I, I I got to read quite a bit about it. But then, you know, that history lived on as far as like Ben Johnson, um, you know, running the ranch, and and then his uh, son living there and stuff you know you know a lot of that history and and uh, I tell you what's kind of funny the history of the traditions that they have there that some people wouldn't even think about and uh, I like telling this story because it is it is sort of a funny tradition that that I wasn't aware of at the time on that place of course I walked in the door first week we were there we were we were working cattle and so we were eating lunch at the camp and then uh the first week that we actually went to lunch at the bunkhouse, we walk in, meal's ready, everybody gets their tea and sits down at the long table, and I just picked the first empty seat I saw, and uh, I sat down there. And all the, by then those guys, cowboys, had gotten to like me a little bit, and they told me and said, "You need to move." I said, "Move? What do I need to move?" Okay, I just picked the first seat. You know, I'm kind of duck out of water there. He said that's Larry's seat okay. So I got up and moved, thankfully. Well, the next young kid that showed up at the ranch, they didn't care as much for him. And they let him sit there for about three days before they told him. And by then he was fixing water gaps every afternoon for a week. So (laughs) he didn't sit in that seat. And I don't think he sat there when Ben Johnson ran it either. Probably the same table.
1: Probably not. Did you stay in the bunkhouse?
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I stayed in the bunkhouse and, uh, I'm sure you've been out there and seen it. It's well. John Barnes and I were talking about it a couple of days ago. Not much about that headquarters has changed, other than it's clean, right? And uh, <clears throat> if you walk up to the, when you walk through the yard gate, they're on the right now. I think they've got some bathrooms and stuff. There's a basement underneath there, and uh, that was the only shower in the in the whole place. So we showered in the, in the basement and I'll go on to I'll say that it was probably, it was probably at least 10 inches of mold on the walls and the ceiling, but that's where we showered. Wow. And you didn't shower without your sandals on.
0: Sounds like showering at the, at the <laughs> over oh, at the showers at Cheyenne after the carney has been there, Jimbo.
3: A little bit like that. Yes. I've been there too, <laughs> but it, it was, it was an experience. And like I said, we, uh, Got to ride a lot of really good horses. I think the better horses that Bill raised probably were in those mare's bellies when they left, but he was definitely building a hell of a horse program at
1: the time. What do you think of the winters up there? Sir? What do you think of the winter weather up there?
3: I didn't like it at all.
1: I bet you didn't did.
3: didn't like it at all. No, sir. As a matter of fact, they bought me a real heavy coat for Christmas because I think they were scared I was going to leave and they wasn't going to get any more of those colts broke. And I, I came close to it. I remember being so cold, you know. And uh, they talked about it being hot here where I live in South Texas, but it's, not, it's, it's still hot there, too. It's just not as, uh, it's not as humid down here as it is there. But. Right,
1: right. The wind, seemed like the wind always blows up there at the Barnard. And
3: uh, yeah, if you get on top of those hills, it does.
1: Yeah,
3: but I uh, we kept we kept all of the horses over there at the, what would be the Blackland side of the place, right? Where, where now they have built some houses and stuff. But that that uh, that horse facility was there when I was there in 1989, and with uh, a it was a good facility. And then across country there to the headquarters, it's just somewhere around five miles, I give or take but I uh, would keep two Colts at the headquarters at all times. And I would ride a Colt in the morning to the, to the horse barn, ride Colts all morning, swap Colts and ride back at lunch and then swap Colts and ride back to the headquarters and ride in the afternoon. So, uh, in the process of that, I was putting 20 miles on those Colts and, uh, I, I very rarely even drove a vehicle. It was just, Back and forth, getting getting those horses riding. So,
1: did you did you ever ride up to that place on Buck Creek? I wonder how far that was.
3: I've been all over it, yes, sir. Yeah, they would. Uh, I've been. You know, there's one piece of it that was the uh, the Kansas trap. I think they called that pasture that went right over into the Kansas line just a little bit. Yeah.
0: You know, we've been talking about this ranch, Jimbo, and it's a famous ranch. Do you have any history on it, or can you explain what this ranch was to everybody so so they know what we're talking about, actually?
1: So many great cowboys worked up there, you know, world champions and stuff. My grandfather worked up there. Uh, Lewis Brooks worked up there. Ike Rude worked up there, you know. So many cowboys came through this area and would, would work at the Chapman Barn Ranch. It was just a historic ranch, you know, without set aside Ben the Ben Johnson living there. You know, it was a historic ranch without that.
0: You know, in the 1940s, it was the largest ranch in the whole state of Oklahoma.
1: Right, right. That's saying something right there. Right, right. Big ranch in state like this. Well, I know it. It's an awesome place, and I don't know how it is now, but just a few years ago, they still had a lot of those old bodock fence posts and stuff that were put in back there in the 20s and 30s. It, it, It just stayed the same probably as much as any ranch that I've ever been around. What's going on with it now, Jimbo? Well, part of it they made into the Nature Conservancy, the Buffalo Ranch. Oh, okay, yeah, that's where all the buffalo are. And then that on the west side is Bass Brothers, and and some of the north is Bass Brothers. But they split it up, basically, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Okay, so the Nature Conservancy, where all the buffalo are. The Tallgrass
1: Prairie is what they call it. Yeah, right. And then the other part is Bass Brothers. They run steers, (laughs) yearlings. Okay.
0: Yeah, I heard they still have all the original count books from the original Chapman Barnard Ranch and everything the Bass Brothers do.
1: Yeah, they've got that there at Blackland where the old Blackland pens used to be. Well, the pens are still there, but it's not like it used to be. The Midland Valley Railroad used to go through there. And they said at one time they shipped more cattle out of there than any place in the United States.
0: Do you hear about that Blackland Railroad over there, Johnny?
3: Yes, sir. I think that's kind of what splits the Chapman and the Barnard side of the ranch. I'm not mistaken because, well, the railroad that the old railroad bed is right to the, I'd say, to the west of it, and straight west of those black line pins is where the horse barn was. That—that that I did most of my time at the at ranch.
0: Yeah, the great Lewis Brooks, all-around hand. He was a colt breaker there for a while.
3: Yeah. You want to hear a funny Lewis Brooks story? And I can't say that's true because I'm too young to know it. But there was. Old man named Carl Kelly. He's from up there. Yeah, Might I, know. Even...
1: I know him. Or knew him. He well, died.
3: Carl. Yes, I figured he'd passed away by now. Matter of fact, I heard that he had. Carl told me a funny story one time about Lewis Brooks. And uh, he said that Lewis came to help him work cattle up there north of the ranch. And he provided him a horse. And he told him, he said, Lewis, he said, this horse is going to buck. He said, he bucks hard. He said, Lewis told him, he said, well, I'm a bronc rider SOB. He said, well, that's going to come in handy because he really bucks, Lewis. And he said, yeah, that's good. So I told you, I'm a bronc rider. He said, he got on him. He threw him off. And Brooks, Lewis Brooks got up and looked at Carl Kelly. And he said, well, always was a better bull rider anyway.
1: He
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, was a pretty good bronc rider, world champion.
3: Yeah, Lewis yeah Lewis. he was. But, but everybody gets bucked off. Oh, yeah.
0: wow. Oh, Ike Rude, they said uh he they worked up there a long time.
1: Yeah. And my grandfather, he worked up there in the third in the 1930s and and he got married in 1930. He was living in the bunkhouse and he got married in 1936. And they wanted him to move on that ranch up there at Buck Creek with his wife and he said, "No, I've had it. I'm going to start rodeo." And he quit that day when he got married.
3: Well, the cowboy crew we had there when I when I was there, I uh, I would have to brag on that. Everybody that, that worked there at the time, you know, like I said, I mentioned the Carpenter boys and John Barnes, but a man named Johnny Brizendine was a hell of a hand. And, uh, of course, in y'all's part of the world, everybody knows the Foreman boys, Vogue sure. Foreman. He was on was there at the time. And uh, a guy named Stan Malden was a hell of a hand and a good rodeo guy, too. There was, there was some good... There's some good hands there. Like said, so we buried Don James last year, and he was probably the most talented ranch cowboy I'd ever seen to this day. But, you know, well, I drive through there every time I go, and nothing seems to change. Like I said, it's cleaner. Some of the fences are gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's stayed the same about as much as close as any ranch I know of. Pretty cool. Well, you. Broke Bronx up there. What made you, uh, I guess, just a natural progression to go to the rodeos?
3: Well, I've been to college a couple of times. After I left Chapman Barnard, I went to work for Paul and Marcella Mays there. My husband started Colts for them and trained horses with them for another year and then worked for them for another year after that. But in between working for Paul and Marcella, I decided that being going to college wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was right out of high school and went to Valley. Southwest Texas Junior College. Um, Roy Angermiller was the coach down there. He's a scared roper into the finals of the finals. A bunch. And, uh, I just kind of pursued my, my rodeo deal from there and then used what I'd, what I'd learned at the Chapman Barn and made a living starting Colts.
0: Who all was on your college rodeo team with you?
3: Uh, Tony Reyna, Scott Smatiker, uh, Joaquin Garza, uh, Joe Barr. there's about, there's there's a lot of good hands on there. Don Barnes, Ryan Miller. <laughs> I heard uh
0: I heard that uh, I heard I heard a story one time you might have been there.
3: Roy Angamiller, he was uh, a great steer roper. The west side of the border it was on, Cody? On the probably. West side of the border?
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I made a lot of memories on that south side of the border. I just don't remember any of them, to be honest with you. I was having too much fun. But anyway, Roy Angamiller, he's a great steer roper, just a great roper. Pretty good guy, all-around guy. But uh, I heard Tony Reyna, he was a hot-shot calf roper at the time, Jimbo. He's a steer uh-huh. roper now. Uh-huh. But he was limping off to Roy Angamiller about being able to beat him in a match calf roping or something. And I flagged it. Okay, tell us about that, then. You, you well... were there. I I wasn't there. I just heard the story second-handed, and I was about 10 years old when I heard it. so.
3: Well, I flagged him. Tony's one of my great friends. I I love him death. And I look up Roy Anger Miller more than than you can imagine. As ordinary as he is, if you could hang around him a while, you'd learn how to win. But Roy and Tony had a trailer trade. And in that trade, Tony owed Roy 500 bucks, I believe. And we were all a bunch of college kids and you know, Roy was still going to the finals in the secure open at the time, but nobody thought he could rope cabs. Tony sure didn't think he could beat him rope cabs. So they matched for the 500 in their college practice then. And, uh, they tied the cabs first and, you know, Tony went ties one in eight or nine and Roy ties one, 11 or 12. Tony tied one 11. I think Roy tied one in 10. They Tony was beating him when the cap open match was over but it wasn't about very much and after Roy ran his first two in the trip and Tony didn't even need to back in the box again but uh, long story short when the stuff settled Tony gave 4000 bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. That's some of that, uh, that Roy might the been the one that told me about this he said old age and treachery <laughs> overcomes youth and enthusiasm Jimbo All Right usually will.
3: <laughs> um, yeah. That's a good way to describe Roy.
0: Some of them old guys are just hard to hard to beat. And they just are. Almost impossible. Well,
3: and uh, since we're talking about Osage County, whenever I was living up there, I mean, Sunday afternoon, there, there wasn't anything to do but go watch the steer open somewhere. And we were at Bartlesville at a little steer open. Wasn't much to it, but uh when it was over they wanted to have a match. And Sean is gonna match your dad. It's gonna match Rocky. Gotcha. Yeah. J. Paul Williams' his dad came over to me, nobody knew me, and I was just some kid, you know, and he said, Hey, who do you think's gonna win? I said, Well, so I think I'll bet on Rocky he said, I would too. He said, but nobody will take any of my bets. They won't bet against me. And he hands me a stack of hundreds. And I walk around there and I get every bet I could on Rocky, and Rocky ended up winning it. I'm about to use an enthusiasm part. Rocky no, no, beating.
0: I'm not sure if he beat him, but I think he covered the, the seconds that you guys got on the deal.
3: Yeah. He got the money. I got the money. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: that matters.
0: <laughs> I know. Alan uh, Alan Lansdowne told us that story here a while back. He said, God ah, dang, he about beat him, but he covered the spread."
3: Yeah. <laughs> but now, after being in U valley, then I, uh, you know, I I was out there on a rodeo scholarship, and I uh, I still kept roots in Poster, but my rodeo career, my you know, I traveled. All over the United States and Canada, and trying to make finals, and then starting colts and and training horses, and putting on a few horse clinics along the way. But I had a, quite a bit of success in the in the rodeo bill, and I, at the cactus level, and almost made the final several times. I had a couple of broken legs that that set, sent me home, but. It it was I wouldn't trade it for the world Now I'm in Bandera, Texas Doing work in the oil field And selling snow cones
0: Who are you traveling Who did you travel with, Johnny?
3: I traveled Oh uh, well, When I first started Wanting to go to Professional rodeos Um I was Staying at John Barnes's And uh, You know Don Reno? Oh yeah great Don bucking Reno horse came there now. Oh yeah Good bucking horse guy Don and I are still great friends And we Uh John was helping some guys learn to trip steers, and and uh, Don showed up at the house getting some coaching, and he saw my bronx saddle sitting in the pack room and we got to visit, and I jumped in the truck with him that summer and filled my permit, and then uh, first guy that I rodeoed with hard professionally was Tom Reeves, and then uh, world champion. Then I rodeoed uh, several years with Mike Uthier. That's always entertaining.
0: <laughs> One of my favorite people of all time, Mike Uthier. No doubt about it.
3: Yeah, if you want to talk to somebody, some tell you some stories, you got to get him on them.
0: Well, we're trying to. You told me you were going to give me his wife's phone number, so she'd make him do it.
3: I can tell you some Mike Uthier stories, but I'd rather not. not <laughs> let him do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what about traveling with Tom? What, what was it like traveling with Tommy Reeves? Did you learn a lot traveling with a, with a guy like that? <laughs>
3: You learned a lot about, uh, I mean, you learned a lot about the entering. He'd been there for so long and done so much. You you, you learned, I mean, that guy could tell you, he could figure out how to work two rodeos in one day when nobody thought it was possible. I mean, maybe maybe go to, he might be in Pecos in, in the afternoon or, and be in California that night, just time changes and flights and when to enter, when they were going to have the good horses out. And he he's a master of that. And honestly, I liked his style as far as his riding style compared to others at the time. I thought it, I thought it was I liked the way he handled his rain, um, and I you know I I tried to handle my rain like that, but I never did handle it as good as Tommy. And uh, as far as he learned a lot, but you know he's grouchy, so sometimes when you're a young kid and you're really young with some older guys they're they're grouchier than they need to be just to piss you off but that's part of life
0: i think it rubbed off on
1: johnny he's a little grouchy sometimes (laughs) Jimbo did you do much flying to rodeos johnny i
3: didn't fly very much i pretty much drove and and uh you know got well, I mean, as far as commercially, yeah, I flew every day right. But for every chance I got commercially, but I didn't, I flew a few times in a small plane. One time I caught a ride with Ty Murray and uh, a real nice plane, in the Gulf Stream. And other than that, just commercial, I didn't have a little plane
1: or anything like that. Yeah. I don't blame you. I don't like those little planes with cowboy pilots.
0: Yeah, we've heard a lot of good stories from some cowboy pilots on this this show, haven't we, Jimbo? Yeah, we have. Don Huddleston, he landed his plane right in front of the rodeo grounds, let Roy Cooper off. We had a few Roy Cooper uh, plane stories, actually.
3: My first wife wouldn't allow me to get a pilot's license. She thought I had too much risky behavior for (laughs) gentlemen.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, these rough stock riders flying these airplanes, ain't no way I'd get in one of those with a no, Jimbo. No. I mean, they're crazy enough anyway getting on these right. bulls and stuff. But uh, getting behind a wheel of a plane on top of it, I just can't imagine.
1: Yeah, it. and you just landed on your head at a rodeo the, and then go try to fly an airplane. They I'm got a death that. wish in the first place.
3: Well, I don't know. If I win the lottery, I'm going to buy a plane and give it to my son.
0: Yes, sir, for sure. Let's talk about your boy there for a minute. I imagine you're one proud daddy.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with his accomplishments. I mean, he's a he's a very talented artist and, and leather craftsman to begin with, but um, you know, he he didn't want to work for me running a chainsaw so he figured out how to
0: Well, he saw you, you making them work. snow cones and somehow you're a snow cone <laughs> artist and he turned into a leather artist.
3: Something like that, but yeah. But now he's pretty talented on both ends of the arena. Actually, he uh, he qualified for that first national final steer open that they had last week, but he didn't get to go because he dislocated his shoulder, and uh, he's headed to the college national finals uh, here in about ten days. So he's he's doing well. He Rides really good. Hey, let's touch on that college
0: national final steer open for a minute, Jimbo. What what's going on with that? Have you read anything about that? Jim? Well,
1: just what little I've read on Facebook and stuff. I really don't know that much about it, Cody.
0: Well, I think that college rodeos finally taken in the sport of steer open, and they're going to crown or they did crown a national champion here uh, just recently.
1: Yeah, I saw that.
0: Have they had the college national final steer open yet?
1: Was that yes, last they weekend? Had it Clarendon? It?
0: Okay,
3: they had it cleared Monday. I didn't. I didn't get any results on it. Like I said, Will didn't go, but, um, uh, yeah, I think it's been a good deal. I think Don Ed, Edelman, and I think uh, Mr. Tierney, yes, I think they've really been the, the instigators behind a lot of that. Yeah, that's it's
0: what I've probably- got, too, out of the deal. I, looks like Jess and Don Ed, and maybe Bryce is helping a little bit with it. Seems
3: yeah. Like. Yeah, so it's I think about it's about time. I think it's a good deal. Yeah, I mean they got to do something to make that sport grow. And you know, people say, think that it, it won't it won't help it, but it really will. And I can give you an example. Whenever I was a kid going up to Texas, you couldn't learn to ride about There was a barback rigging on every uh, in every feed store, but you couldn't you couldn't learn to ride broncs. Monte Hanson and Bobby Brown were the only Texas bronc riders. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't have anybody to teach us. We didn't have anywhere to go. And now, and at the time, it reflected in the PRCA, there was probably 35 or 40 guys that were really trying to make the national nice finals at that time. Now there's 150 guys trying to make the finals. And you can give that to a lot of the credit of the guys like that, Bowers putting on schools and, and getting. I mean, shuttle runcoring is the toughest event to learn to do and the easiest to do once you get it figured out. But getting through that first year without any help, it kills a lot of people off. And now we've got, it's just evolved. And I think stirrups can be the same way with a little bit of help and, uh, you know, and and a little guidance. Maybe they could help the sport grow.
0: What makes a saddle bronc riding stirrup so dangerous? You always hear people saying, uh, you know, that's one of the most dangerous parts of saddle bronc riding. What makes it so dangerous for the stirrups on a saddle bronc saddle?
3: Well, they're narrow, and and they're and the main thing is, in my opinion, makes your, your stirrups dangerous on saddle bronc saddles. If you don't have very good boots, you know your boots have to be narrow toed before you can get away from them. But you learn how to you learn how to do it. They don't. They're, they're, it's it's it never it never really crosses your mind when you're feet.
0: So you if uh, if you just get just your just foot hung sure. in a stirrup, what's the best way to get it out?
3: I uh, just roll over and land on your belly and lay and step on your back instead of getting hung up further and drugged because your, your toes sticking straight up, it'll stay in that step. But as it turns over, it'll pop out.
1: How would you break your Burn. leg, Johnny? Sir, sure. How did you break your leg at the rodeo?
3: I broke my leg the first time at Mesquite, and
1: uh,
3: it was just kind of a funky deal, my right leg. My right spur hung in his neck, and and I, all my weight landed on the end of that spur and broke it. And then the next time was at Calgary, and the bad part of that is I was I was think I was eighth or ninth in the world, and pretty much had the finals made. And I had earth at Calgary as the bucking horse of the bucking horse of the year in Canada, and actually he's a sire to all those great bucking horses that they talk about, graded coconut and stuff like that. They didn't ride him very much and uh, he bucked me off and broke my leg there and sent me home and I didn't go to the finals. But in the process of that, you know, I got to I got to do a lot of a lot of interesting things and I went on a rodeo quite a while after that and almost made him the following year. But um, right before I broke my leg and Cody was asking me yesterday about that, doing that double for did a stunt double deal for clint black on a movie about a brown rider that was uh oh you know, he was incarcerated for murder and was falsely accused and it was it was a pretty it was a it was a dang good story um there was a lot of fun stuff that we didn't make in the movie um but uh you know the guy was if you're a history buff and Want to look for it? I think it's called "Still Holding On." The Legend of Cadillac Jack Favor, or something like that.
1: Yeah, there's, but, a, uh, there's a good book out there too called "In Jack's Favor." You can find on. Is there. that what it is? Yeah, the yeah. book is in Jack's favor, and the movie was right. You, was what you said.
3: But, um, well, they uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I, he was accused of murder. In, in case somebody reads the book or sees the movie, I won't won't mess it up, but. You, uh, he was accused of murder and and uh, was sent to Angola Prison in Louisiana. And the process of that, you know, did a lot of good as far as I think he he helped with the the uh, prison rodeo, maybe started Cowboys for Christ and things like that. For us, it was a good deal because for a bunch of broke rodeo cowboys, we were making really good money hanging movie set, not doing a whole lot, but, but riding stuff and buck. So we enjoyed
1: it. How'd you get picked for that, Johnny?
3: I had a friend that had worked with uh, all that Lone Wolf McQuaid series about Texas Ranger. A lot of it was filmed there in Fort Worth. And uh, they just had a call, and somebody called me. They needed somebody that could ride and, uh, you know, stand around more than anything. But uh, they after I was there for about two or three days in and Clinton and I got to be pretty good friends and he gave me the uh, the right to have creative being creative consultant so they wouldn't mess anything up that didn't look time period you know as far as it, this was all set in the 70s I wanted to make sure that it, it didn't look like something in the 90s well for instance I I had to stop Filming once because there was a bunch of bull riding vests hanging on the back of the chute and it would just look stupid in the movie. And Clint and I, because I could tell him stuff like that, we got to be pretty good friends. Yeah.
0: What'd you do? Run out on the set? Stop! Stop it all!
3: <laughs> yeah, I did. I just Keep said them cut. And down and here, did you like, just
0: start cut. throwing these cut. damn bull riders.
3: Cut. cut. Yeah, yeah. But the funny one on that deal, set, those, those Hollywood guys, they drive, they drive us crazy because they. They set up to to film a scene, and they're there for 30 minutes getting all this stuff set up, and it takes five minutes to film the scene, and they go somewhere else and set up. They come back and reset up where we just were. So we're just hanging around making day wages, and they had to pay us so much ahead to get on a bronc. And then if we got bucked off on purpose, they had to pay us double. So... They asked me to jump off one and not use any pickup, man. I said, Well, that's paying double. And they said, No, we don't want you to get bucked off. We just want you to jump off. And I said, Well, can't you come back here and climb on this bronc and you show me the difference? They <laughs> said, Just pain. Just paying. But uh, they, uh, the, funny, the funny story I like to tell about that is just to show how naive people are that aren't involved in the rodeo or agriculture world the director went to Mr. Lynn Bottoms, who was a stock contractor. And he asked him, he said, sorry, he said, I need a bull that's going to jump out here and spin about twice, throw the guy off and chase him to the fence where I'm going to have a camera set up. And Mr. Bottoms looked at him and he said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk back here and play, visit with these bulls. See if I can find one that's willing to do all that shit. <laughs> and that director looking straight in the eyes, he said, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> and he really believed he could do it, but yeah. it worked out. I got it on film. So, <laughs>
0: What kind of old, what kind of guy was Clint black?
3: He's a real nice man. He was a little bit bashful at first, whenever, you know, being around the Cowboys and stuff, because you know, they had other, I mean, his wife was in the movie. So there's Mac Davis, the old country singer. He was there. Oh,
0: yeah. It's hard to be humble.
3: Yeah. That guy was a hoot. North Dallas 40. uh,
0: That's my favorite one Mac was in. North Dallas 40. I love that show. Yeah. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah,
3: that... He was pretty funny. A couple of the guys that were on our cowboy crew were in the back drinking beer. And, uh... Mac, he picked his head up and he said, I smell bourbon. And I said, no, they're back there drinking beer. He said, well... He said, I haven't had a drink in 25 years, but every time I smell alcohol, it still smells like bourbon. And, but, uh, now, it Clint was a good guy. At first, he was pretty bashful, and he walked up to us the first night we met him, and he said, uh, hey, now, we really want this to be as realistic as possible. I want everything to look, you know, right. Y'all are the Cowboys. We want your advice. And one of our friends there, Jimmy McCarley, He's pretty, pretty yeah, bold. No, He's quite the, quite the character sometimes. Great guy. He takes Clint Black's hat off of his head and creases it on his knee and puts it back on his head. And he said, well, Clint, there's a start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, he kind of warmed up to us and, 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 and was good. You know, uh, he gave us a, he gave me an envelope the day we left and he said, I'd like to, I'd like to take you guys to dinner, or drinks, and have a good time and stuff. He said I can't go anywhere without being bothered. And uh, he said, not want y'all to go just go have fun. And I think there was five of us, and he gave me an envelope with $6,000 on it. Wow. And
0: Did y'all have a heck of a time that night?
3: Honestly, we split it up and paid the rent, and met later at Northside and drank a beer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: north side that's, that's that's the stockyards in Fort Worth that's the cowboy lingo for it Jimbo
3: but there it, uh, after that then Plan instigated a deal for me to get a sponsorship with AC Delta and uh, that was when I was making the final or you know had a good shot to make the finals, and uh, I was uh, kind of shocked because it was sort of like you know why me but I'd helped him enough and it was it was a substantial amount of money well, this was out of my saying This was in 1998, and it was for fifty thousand dollars a year. It was a three year contract, and I uh, was rodeoing, and Clint he played at Houston, and he invited me to come up to his dressing room, and that's that's a, and and we we kind of made the deal. But while I was up there, I got to meet a guy named Billy Gibbons. I don't know if anybody knows who Billy Gibbons is, but ZZ Top. ZZ Top. Yeah. So got to hang out up there with them and we made the deal. And, uh, I rodeoed all summer and never got any shirts or anything from them. And, uh, then hadn't really come up with a dollar figure, but the number we were kicking around was was 50,000. And, uh, I uh, got a call from home, a $25,000 check, it showed up in the mail on the 4th of July, or the 5th of July. I broke my leg on the 6th oh. and called Clamp. Told him, hey, I broke my leg. I'm not coming back. And I said, I'll send you this check back. And he said, no. He said, you need it more than I do. He said, keep it. And called me January. So, he's, he's that kind of person. You know, he made that kind of deal. And And even though I really didn't – I didn't feel like I did anything during the money. I didn't do any sponsor work for him or anything, but he was a man of his word and and, uh, turned out good for everybody.
0: You know, when he broke his leg, Jimbo, it it was before the Cowboy Channel or anything, and somehow the Calgary Stampede ended up on national TV that year, and uh, they showed it in slow motion, Johnny, breaking his leg in half. It was – it was horrible. We were all feeling bad for
1: him. Yeah, it's pretty bad when you're going to make the finals, and that's your dream, to make the finals, and then have something like that happen. That's, that's a tough break.
0: Yeah, I was living down in Fort Worth, working with his brother, of all people. That's how I got acquainted with Johnny. Johnny, why didn't you ever start uh, roping steers? I've seen you in about 1,000 steer ropings. I haven't seen you I actually roped. enter one.
3: I roped some steers when I was there in Soska and was in the, the, the Osage Ropens. I'm left-handed, and I was learning to rope right-handed at the time. And, I mean, I love it. I love dinner, and, but I had a couple of good horses and sold them. And I'll be honest with you, I can't justify the investment for the reward. <laughs> I love the steer open, but... Go put up that kind of money. For me, I just—it's hard, and, and it's hard for my son sometimes too, because he goes to, to goes to the rodeos and rides bronx and puts up a hundred bucks and wins three thousand, and then he goes to stirrup and puts up five hundred. Like, hell, dad, this isn't a bad. This is a bad investment. I said, well, this is maybe something you'll think about when you get old
0: well, if you're roping good, it's all right. Your old college yeah. your old college guy Scott Snedeker, he thinks it's a pretty good investment right now. Holy moly, he's tearing them up.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, I know Scott, he's you ought to get him on there. He's pretty he's pretty funny. But yeah, I know he's always done well with and I trust me, I'm not knocking the stir him, but the answer why I never really got serious about Aaron's just I I couldn't justify the the fees the and and quite honestly probably didn't rope good enough to beat anybody. Now I rope with my right hand and have Twenty years, but everybody says y'all go. To my brother every now and then and he'll say something to me. I'll go to the old timers I said, "Well, hell, I couldn't beat Scott Snedeker when I was in college. <laughs> I couldn't beat Rocky Patterson. I'd have. I, I mean, Dan Fisher. What is he? Sixty eight years old?
1: No, he's seventy two.
3: Okay, I I couldn't beat he's still him as
0: good as he ever had. He was sticking it on the other day at Claremore, fast as anybody. He had some heck on the ground, but he had three down yeah. quick.
3: But why do I want to enter an old man's roping when I can't beat him? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. He don't even enter an old man's ropings. Uh, I know, I don't I don't I know my limitations. I don't rope good enough.
0: <laughs> it always surprised me. His brother rope steers, his mentor John Barnes, he roped steers. All the guys he hung out with were steer ropers a lot of times. Johnny, had a lot of, every time he had a lot of advice for me on rope and steer. God dang you did this, boy! You want to do this? To do, to do, do, do. Some I'm of it actually helped. Some of it actually helped. I'm not even kidding you.
3: I'm a great armchair quarterback. No, I I love the steer opening. I've started lots of steer horses and and had had some success, but just like I said, I uh, I love it. I'd love to see you. Uh, I'd love to see a guy. You'll win the Lenderman Award that's broken stairs and riding Bronx. Well your boy might do it. Well he he's got the he's got the ability, you know. What'd you tell
0: Uthier to come out of retirement for just a few bronx, enough to win a little money?
3: Well the bad thing is he could do it. Yeah. <laughs> he might be, he might be able to. He's come out of retirement pretty pretty quick, as good a shape as he stays in. Where are you and living at now, Johnny? Where am I living? Yeah. I live in Bandera.
0: Oh, that's a good—that's a good cowboy town right there.
3: Well, it's kind of a tourist town. You know, they call it a cowboy town, but it's—it's it's a really good town for the tourists and kind of the if they've got trail riders and stuff like that. I—I uh, I laugh and people say something about it being a cowboy capital. I say, yeah, there's the a few cowboys that are left around here, either welding or selling snow cones.
1: <laughs> what do you do in the oil field, Johnny? You mentioned oil field there. Oh, uh,
3: I'm a land agent. I I, I acquire surface rights as far as easements, pipeline agreements, things like that.
1: Right. That's a pretty good job. That's better than getting out there welding or climbing around on those pulling units or something like that.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 pretty content with. It. It's Kind of like trading horses. Only you're doing it with an oil company's money.
1: Yeah, you bet kinda of like trading horses. I was a welder in the oil field for thirty eight years and Oh really? Yeah. I like the oil field but that that, that landman's pretty good job.
3: I enjoy it and, and like I said, it's it's been good to my family. Uh, as most everybody knows that that youth rodeo and kid rodeo is a is an expensive game to play and I have a daughter named Laney that she rodeoed and, uh, she's in Stephenville now. Still ropes and, and uh, a little bit. And plays with the barrel race a little bit. But uh, And, of course, my son. and You haul two kids down the road, with the trailer full of horses. you got to have a good time.
1: Absolutely.
0: Sell a lot of Tiger's Blood snow cones, too. I'm sure. <laughs> you bet. You were telling us something about the Bandera Rodeo before we got started to, on the podcast. What was that? Something about snow, selling snow cones at the rodeo. He said he made more uh, money. Yeah before <laughs> before the grand entry is over than he ever did riding there and he won it a couple times.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, you'd be surprised, you know, um, how much cold sweet stuff you can sell in a hot town. There you go. I'm not, asking,
0: I'm not asking for any trade secrets, but what's the three most popular flavors of snow cone?
3: Tiger's blood. Told you, Jimbo. Um, Tiger's blood. Tiger's blood, coconut, strawberry. Coconut? And the funny thing is, yeah, tiger's blood, coconut, strawberry. Everything is coconut, strawberry, or tiger's blood is coconut. mixed together. That's all it is. I'm going today.
0: When are you going to add funnel cakes in on the deal?
3: Oh um, uh, not. I'm going to head down there. Uh, no, I'm not. I, I said I want to. So I can be a real carny.
0: You need a corn dog. I can tell. Okay. Well, but, Johnny, yeah. won't you ask him the question, Jimbo? We haven't asked it in a while on the on the podcast. About really. the, your Mount
1: Rushmore, Johnny. If you were building a Mount Rushmore of bronc riders, who would you put on it? Need four names. They don't have to be guys you rodeoed with. They could be back in the 20s or 30s, for that matter. But who do you think deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore of Saddlebrook Riders?
3: I can just pick four. That's it. Four. Well.
1: Four and no more.
3: I don't know. I'm going to have to say. Who? Mm. Oh, yeah. Brad Jarmenson. Clint Johnson.
0: Who was the first one?
3: Casey, Tibbs.
0: There you go. Casey, Billy Ettbauer, Brad Jermisen, Clint Johnson.
3: That's yeah, weird. and then I think Roddy Hayes should get an honorable mention.
0: He's on the Mount Rushmore in Canada. The
3: Canada Rush. Yeah, he, Yeah. I think I think he's he should. He should probably fall in there. He was the, an
0: electric guy for years. Everyone loved to watch Roddy Hay and his boys. Now, holy moly, those kids are his. They're,
3: They're really amazing. On. Yeah. They're amazing. And, you know, Rod never won the world down here, but he, as far as his skills, it's he, he's phenomenal. He can turn his toes out better than anybody I've ever seen. And then there's Billy. I think Billy's probably the most phenomenal bronc rider that ever lived. But there's a kid right now that's, that that he keeps doing what he's doing. He could be in that class. There's a kid named Sage Newman. Kid rides great, but I've got to stick with little Clint and Brad, and Billy, and of course Casey. He gets it because we Wouldn't none of us be even having a conversation more than like it? What's Casey's kid?
0: Well, there's something wrong with you if you don't put Casey Tibbs on that bronc riding
3: yeah. Mount Rushmore. We wouldn't, I mean, as far as history goes, we wouldn't have an NFR.
0: He was the most electric <laughs> personality in rodeo for... Still might be. Still might Casey be. Tibbs. We heard, we heard a good story on him last week. It's a podcast from uh, Farrell Butler, the old photographer. He said Casey would... He used to stay in this boarding house in... in in California and this old woman would tell him, well, Casey, you can stay here this year, but no women. And Casey (laughs) brought a whole big bag full of, you know, panties and bras and everything brand new from the store. And he'd hang one on the door, throw it in the hallway out there every morning. And she'd say, Casey, I told you (laughs) no women in this boarding house. So.
3: Yeah. I got to meet Casey once at one of the, I was a kid at one of the Ben Johnson. Um, Celebrity deals that he had. And, uh, he, he was wearing a purple satin shirt. He was pretty old by then, but that, uh, he was doing the uh, when Ben had those celebrity cuttings and team ropings and whatnot. Do
0: you ever meet Ben?
3: Maybe him one time. I was working for Paul Mays and I, uh, was at home. It was hot. And somebody knocked on my door, and I looked outside, and it was Ben Johnson. I told my wife, I said, "You're not gonna believe this." Ben Johnson standing on the porch. And she knew who he, you know, who, who he was. Kind of, even though know, was raised right in South Texas, she knew who he was. And I invited him in. And he said, no, oh, come outside. I want to talk to you." I thought, "Hell, I don't even know you. Why you gonna talk to me?" And he was quizzing me about. Horses that we had for sale, and this horse and that horse, and rope horses, and what he'd basically done, he snuck out there to the ranch when Paul wasn't there, was not me, because he said I'd rather talk to the guy riding the one that owns him. But nothing against Paul, but that was just kind of Ben sneaking around trying to find him some horses to swap with.
0: That's a pretty good one. So that's yeah. all- you know, Jim. one time I met him. One time I took a a horse breaking job took these two mules in there was a guy he had a big mule operation up there in kansas named cy coakley i took these two mules in and he had about a hundred more he wanted us to break but we to start off with these two well we kept these two around for 45 days and i only got on about once because they were pretty pretty waspy mules anyway my dad got sick of sick of them standing around there at the house i said boys, you got to do something with these mules. So he said, how about y'all saddle these mules up and ride them to Sai's house and by the time you get there, they'll be broke. It's 30 miles over there to his house. I made it about 10 miles, got off my mule to get a drink of water, Jimbo. Sucker wouldn't let me back on, kicked me and ran off. That's the last time I saw that mule and that saddle. That's my...
3: That's your cold-breaking day. That's my cold-breaking
0: stuff. The other mule, they're, they well, got him at the Grand Canyon on trail rides now. Well, if you'd have
1: stuck with horses, you might have been all right, <laughs> not mules. Well, yeah.
0: Desperate times call for desperate measures, Jimbo.
3: That's what well, it's easy to talk about all the all the times you stayed on one and that you won first or that you were 90, but it wouldn't really be fair to not talk about the times that you got bucked off. I, I was fortunate I didn't get bucked off very many saddle horses. Um, of course, everybody gets buck, bucked off in the bronc riding, but saddle horses I didn't fall off of very often and uh, I told this story the other day made me remember it <laughs> but uh, John I say I at the time I was at Chapman Barn Bill had the Cotting Ranch leased which that's where the uh, Pioneer Woman where Drummond has all their stuff that, that portion of the place
0: they invented artificial insemination right there at the Cotting Ranch Jimbo
1: Right,
3: but um anyway we we went over there to get some cattle, and I had a, one of those big five year olds I talked about before that had kind of been a misfit around there, maybe gotten away with a little stuff, and I wanted to get there early and get him rode around for the whole crew showed up so then Stan Malden and Bob Foreman left a little early, and I got on that colt and trotted him around. And he bucked me off. He bugged me off really hard. Again, I was eighteen years old and I was pretty cocky. And I thought, well, you can sign a gun and I got mad and got back on him and I reeled the bridle reins out to him and spurred him as hard as I could. And this time he really bucked me off. And when I when I got up I was I was hurting. When I got up I crawled back up on him and I gathered the bridle reins up as short as I could. And I begged him to walk off. And me and him got along for about an hour. And uh, after that, he got mad. He never didn't make it his ranch horse, but he did manage to buck me off twice in about five seconds.
0: (laughs) We're laughing at you. Ain't cowboys, ain't we something? Because if we see someone get bucked off, our first thing is to do is laugh at them at first. We don't even see if they're all right first, a lot of times. Right.
1: Well, of course. (laughs) You're supposed to laugh.
0: It's funny. I don't know how many times I've seen a cowboy cause someone to get bucked off and just think mm. it's hilarious. So, But anyway, Johnny, thanks for coming on today. We sure appreciate it.
3: All right. Well, I hope I've answered all your questions.
0: Well, tell Will good luck. Get try right. to get healed up and win some money.
3: All right. Sounds good. Maybe I'll see you father today. I haven't decided yet. Yeah,
0: get on up here.
3: All right. Take care.
0: All right. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you. See you, Johnny. Johnny Snowcone Pollock right there. Right. Holy moly. That's good. And if you're down in Bandera, go go buy a snow cone. i Johnny. He needs it. He can really use it. Yeah. For the extra business. Get you some of that tiger's blood. That's right. Get you a tiger's blood. He'll 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 mix up any kind of concoction you want. You can get a suicide if you want. That's a little bit of everything in there, Jimbo.
3: All right. If you real straight to the box, we can really spice it up for you. You got to talk about that behind the
0: See. He start, he's still acting like he's lived in Oklahoma, Jimbo. Right. <laughs> all right, everyone. Be sure to like, share, all that fun stuff. And it sure means a lot to me and Jimbo. And we'll see y'all next week.
3: Take care. Thank you. See you,
0: yeah. Danny.
1: Bye.
2: Old stories like long lost friends rodeos and late night bands history before our time round pens and pasture rides cowboys of the osage